Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese. Welcome back to the CEO Show. We're here today with Ron Shake. And Ron, as you know, because we've interviewed him before, has been, he was the founder of Panera Bread, also built Oban Pan. And he has this fantastic book, which is Know What Matters. And I've read like over a thousand books and you can't see because it's the radio, but I have all the pages turned up because there's a lot of principles in here. And that's what you're going to learn about, leadership and transformation. So welcome back, Ron. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you, Robert. And here's the first question to ask you. So I want to ask you about leadership. Your stock has performed in an extraordinary way in maybe a 104x time. So if you invested $10,000 over a 20-year period, you would have made over a million dollars. What are the secrets of leadership that drive stock performance. And I know it's not that simple, so I want you to really boil it down because we have a couple of hundred thousand CEOs and entrepreneurs listening in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is what we talk about in the book, actually figuring out what matters, discovering today what's going to matter tomorrow, uh, and, 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 and then getting it done. The reality is that Throughout corporate America, we spend a lot of time reacting to and responding to the wrong things, um, to our competitors, to what else is going on out there. And we don't have a future-oriented view of where we need to be with precision. Uh, and often the view we have isn't right. And then the the dirty little secret of most companies, they don't get done what they say they're going to get done. Get it done. No BS. So talking about getting it done, you've actually gone through four major transformations. Great CEOs usually just go through one, but one was- Wait a second, Robert, Robert. I've been doing, I was a CEO for 37 years I ran this company. And and to be clear, I, I was a public company CEO for 27 years. I, I guarantee you that's longer than almost any of your listeners. And I further can tell you, I was a CEO longer than Cal Ripken played baseball and I'm still standing. So, so there you go. There's, there's, you know, having been around, you learn, you learn a little bit. Go ahead. Well, what, what's the secret with longevity? The average CEO tenure is eight years. Well, I owned a big chunk of the company. I, I voted for myself. <laughs> that, that helped. But, 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 but more broadly, I think it's actually delivering. I, I, you know, I think that that look at over those last 20 years, we delivered a 25% annual return to our shareholders, annualized return when you take it over those 20 years. Two times Starbucks, four times Chipotle. And I was just told we beat Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Here's the point. And you, you asked, you, you spoke to it in your last question. We continue to think long-term throughout the entire process. And so increasingly our public markets have become pervasively short-term the, that gives a powerful opportunity to contrarians like me, leading companies, who are thinking long-term, really spending the time and energy to figure out what's going to matter, telling themselves the truth, and then actually getting it done. And 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 I think that's part of the key to it. We, in our case, Robert, four different transformations. Maybe it'd be helpful to share it with you and your listeners. Would that be useful? Absolutely. Starting with the Oh, taking Oban Pan. Yeah, so I, I started with a 400 square foot cookie store in downtown Boston. First major transformation after we took over, we, we were in the cookie store 
And I had 50,000 people a day going by. Nobody bought cookies before 12 noon. I put in French baked goods. I, 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 I very quickly realized that the company I was dealing with, a company called Obon Pen up in Boston, had three stores. It, it, it represented for lots of different reasons a powerful opportunity to build the kind of company I wanted to work in. And so I ended up merging in 1981, my one cookie store with the three old bone pens, a gentleman named Lou Kane, who's now deceased, um, was running old bone pen. He became my partner of two decades. And in many ways, one of my, my most beloved friends and colleagues, but Lou and I merged our businesses that created a company called old bone pen co Inc in 1981. That was the company that I sold in literally that company through multiple transformations in 2017 for seven and a half billion dollars. Um, first transformation that occurred was a realization that 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 in Obompen, which was a croissant and bread shop in Boston, three stores, the action wasn't in selling the bread and croissant. It was listening to the customer and hearing that customer say to us, my God, I want that piece of bread, but I don't want you to slice it like a piece of bread, you know, slice it, slice it from top to bottom. And then they'd pull out a bag from Stop and Shop. And literally, they they put borzon and roast beef on that bread. And again, you didn't have to have a Harvard MBA to say, wow, what's going on with these consumers? What do they really want? And what they really wanted was the sandwich. And they wanted on this wonderful bread and croissant. And we decided we were going to become a bakery cafe and move away from what we were, which was simply a bakery. Powerful, powerful transformation. A business that was on the edge of, of of going under very quickly moved into a, a, a category that every mall developer wanted. Obon Pen took off. The byproduct of that was we went public in, in 1991. Um, lots of people took a shot at us. We won. Second major transformation occurred two years after the IPO. And it occurred as, as, as our growth started to flatten out in Obon Pen. And as I think your, your listeners know, public companies need to feed the growth monster. The, the real value of your company, the value of your stock is not rooted in your earnings per share. It's rooted in the multiple the market applies to it, which is simply a, 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 a representation of how they perceive future growth. And, and it was very clear to me, our growth in Open Pen was slowing down. I started searching around the country to try to understand what was going on. And I, I ultimately, again, learning is where it starts. Empathy is where it starts. It, it became pretty clear to me and a couple of my 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 team members, my my now partner Dwight Jusen, who's who was my strategic consultant at the time, after two years, that that there was a powerful emerging niche in food service, and um, I'll describe it this way: at that point, the only choices were fine dining and fast food, and it became we could just see and feel, as it had already occurred in multiple categories. Coffee, Folgers and Maxwell House had morphed, morphed into Pete's. Uh, Coke and Pepsi had morphed into Snapple and Waldo. You saw it in beer. And I said Bush and Miller had morphed into Sam Adams. We saw the same thing happening in restaurants, a drive for specialness by a niche of the consumer. And you, and you, you, you we began to imagine specialty food. And we began to imagine if we gave people real food, environments that engaged them, served by people that actually cared we could change the currency from fast food. Fast food was a lot of food for not a lot of money. We could sell people 
a, a higher sense of themselves for just a bit more money. Powerful, powerful understanding. It took two years to play out. That ideology, that understanding became the ideology that underpinned what is now called fast casual, which is a hundred billion dollar segment. From that came us, Panera, Starbucks, Chipotle later, but a different paradigm. And, and, and that paradigm allowed us to take one of our four divisions, Panera, and transform that into the poster child for fast casual. So that's the second major transformation. Third, let's fast forward to 1999. Um, I've got four divisions in a, in a public company, professional managers running every one of them, Au Bon Pen, Au bon Pen International, a big manufacturing business selling into the clubs. And then I had Panera. And and I had, I, I, I was down at my house in the Caribbean. And I was, I was honestly, to be honest, Robert, depressed, bummed. You know, and I, I mean, set, I was, I was, I was talking to a friend and I was saying, my God, this thing, this business we had bought, St. Louis Bread Company, which we had converted into Panera Bread and turned into this fast casual concept. I said, this is now a hundred stores, but it has the potential to be a nationally dominant brand. And I'll tell you something for every hundred people that say that one ever makes it. It, 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 I mean, I mean, it's really tough. It's tougher than climbing Mount Everest, frankly. And I said, this has the potential. And I said, but I'm really bummed because we're going to screw it up. We, we, you know, we don't, we don't have the capital. More importantly, you know, we got professional managers. They don't know what growth really is, what's going to hit them. I said, you know, we're, we're going to blow it. And my friend looked at me and said, Ron, what would you do if Panera was the name of the company? If Panera owned all those other divisions, not the other way around. And I said, wow, what I would do is monetize every other asset, take that capital, put it against developing Panera Bread. And then I'd go down there myself, take the very best people I had and help make this thing happen. And Robert, I'm a kind of person where I start to think about things. And then I say, you know, if it makes sense, I'm going to go do it. Um, I, I, I made the decision to do it. And again, I want to say this to, you, to your listeners. It led to the worst year and a half of my life. You know, all these decisions in retrospect look antiseptic. They look easy. It was horrible. I sold my first son, Au Bon Pen. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I, I and, and, and people who, you know, who I loved left. And there was all, you know, the knives came out and there was a ton of palace intrigue and everybody was fighting, you know, and any given day, you could have convinced me not to do the deal. If you really want to know the truth, I, it was that hard to get through, but I kept, and again, it's part of the precept of this book, focusing on the long-term future, what it is I was trying to create. And that's what kept me going through that time period. And in the end, 1999, we completed the sale of all of our other divisions, but Panera, renamed the public company, what had been Obon Penco Inc. to Panera, that represented our third transformation. Took off, we started focusing on running Panera well, making smart bets, as we call it, something we also talk about in the book, um, and living into this vision of the future we had created. By 2009, I, I, we had, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 stores, maybe, maybe a bit more. Um, I, I was starting to feel a longing. Um, and and the, I wanted to, I felt like I had learned so much in running these companies um, about how you run any organization, about how you think long-term. And our body politic was, was becoming more and more polarized. And I wanted to be take what I had learned and apply it 
more broadly the civic society. And it led me to lead, to make the choice. I had some discussions with the Obama administration. I couldn't do it because of my commitment to Panera. I made the decision to um, take a, to, to jump off a high diving board and just find out what it felt like if I weren't at Panera and see if I could pursue some of these things. And in, in, in 2009, 10 is the decade ended. I stepped down as CEO. I immediately started something called Panera Cares, which were these uh, pay it forward cafes where we cafes of shared responsibility where we had no set prices and we ended up opening five of them across the country. I mean, I literally got right into it. I ended up helping form a group called No Labels, which is which is trying to reduce the hyperpartisanship in America. That's another discussion. But I also was still doing as a large shareholder all the MA and some of the customer work for Panera. And again, learning is where the action occurs for a CEO. And, and I can tell you, I was looking at an acquisition and, and it, it, I came back from that trip a weekend in 2011, I think. Anyway, I came back and I wrote a document, a vision for how I would screw Panera, how I would compete with Panera if I weren't part of Panera. Literally, what would I do if I weren't? And Bill Morton, my very dear friend who took over as CEO, uh, my long-term CFO and COO, uh, Bill looked at me and said, wow, this makes a lot of sense. And, and I essentially was calling for digital access, which wasn't being used in the restaurant industry, but to speed service. I was calling for a redo of the production systems I, to keep up with the volume and, and to produce accuracy. I was calling for loyalty. I was calling for a redefinition of how Panera competed around things like craveable wellness and clean food. And um, frankly, I was calling for on the channel. And 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 Bill said, "Would you go work on this digital capability?" And I said, "Sure." And you know, a year later, this executive chairman was having the time of his life working on the product eighty hours a week. I didn't have any of the ceremonial duties of CEO, and that was great. And 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 this and and we were building a pro this prototype. And along the way, Bill came to me and said, "Look, at he had a personal issue; he couldn't travel." And and one thing led to another, and basically Bill and I swapped positions. He became executive vice chair. I came back as CEO. And all I did was put this vision into place. And it led to the largest transformation, I think, of any large public restaurant company uh, of our size anyways. We redid the whole thing, uh, the whole customer experience, the whole go-to-market strategy, the whole production systems. Along the way, I had activists. I spent a couple hundred million in this. I had activists who wanted a nickel, who wanted to to to, sh to short it basically to um, to cut the expenses. Um, they wanted us to take on more debt. We went through that process. I had all those those things that happen in transformation where people leave because bonuses are down, the pain is there. You know, nothing is proven until it's done, Robert. So I had to go through that process by by sixteen, seventeen, it had taken off. Comps were up. EBITDA was up strongly. And and you read in the book, we had serious discussions with Starbucks. They tried to acquire us along the way. Ultimately, a company called uh, the money manager investment firm called JAB fell in love with Panera and bought the company in the largest US restaurant deal ever done at among the highest multiples. And you know, those are the four transformations. But every one of them, you know, to me, running a large company or a small company. 
you got to be figuring out where you need to be tomorrow. And I don't mean tomorrow in, in, in literally tomorrow. I mean, three years, five, seven, and 10. And getting that right and then building everything around it is the key to it. I, I tell a story in the book, and I encourage your readers, to your listeners to read the book. I talk about my parents' death. And, and when I watched them die, it came to me 25 and 30 years ago that if you have the opportunity, there is a judgment day. That judgment day, I, I don't know. You can you got to figure it out for yourself whether it's up there. But I can tell you that if you have chronic illness, you're going to have a judgment day here. And I watched them both go through it. And I realized the time to be judging your life is not in the ninth inning with two outs. It's in the seventh inning, the fifth inning, the third. The time to worry about a heart attack is not in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And it led to a process I call future back, where I sat down every year. And again, I take many of the lessons from my own life, the business and vice versa. I'd sit down every year and say, Ron, where do you want to be in five years in terms of your gut? On that note, yes. we're about to take a commercial break. But what we just heard was the ultimate PhD in what I would call discovery and delivery, which is what Ron talks about. And we're going to go into a concept called post-mortem after the break, and then we'll also hear about concept essence. So those are two big things which we'll hear about when we take the break. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese back on The CEO Show, where we interview the CEOs who've reinvented the fabric of America. We're talking with Ron Shake, who just gave us like I said, a PhD in four significant transformations. You know you have to focus long-term. And he was just about to talk about this fascinating concept called pre-mortem about planning ahead. Talk through that. Well, if you're going to plan ahead, you better know where you want to go, right? So if you get in a car and you press the accelerator and you don't have your hands on the wheel, you don't know where you're going, you just spin. Too many organizations are in a reactive mode. I believe powerfully in a concept that I call pre-mortem or future back, which is to say, I, and again, it came from my personal life. I would sit down each year and, and I would say to myself, where do I want to be in terms of the core relationships of my life, my relationship with my health, my body, my relationship with, with, with my family, um, my spouse, my kids. Um, where do I want to be in terms of my relationship with my work and what I'm doing and my organization and my own relationship to, 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 to being there. And then fourth, my own relationship with my own God. And I'd go through that process every year. And I'd say, this is where I want to be in five years. And then I say, what do I have to do this year to get there? What do I have to do each quarter? What are the projects I have to do? And then I would hold myself accountable and my God, this worked. I'd get about 80% of it done every year. And I, I, I ultimately said, let's do that in business. And it became the core principle I operated from. I literally spent weeks trying every year to figure out what's going to matter in three years and five and seven for our company. I take the team through it. They'd have to own it. And then we would say, these are the things that are so important that if we don't get them done, I should get fired. These are the things the team has got to get done. These are the team's... These are the things the broader organization has to get done. These are the projects that tie into it. And then we built, and this is really important, Robert. It's a big difference. And I think anybody who's ever worked in, 
and any of our companies or investments knows this. We then build the everything in the organization, the org chart, the calendar, which is really the, the, the arteries of the organization, around those key initiatives. What we care about is getting those key initiatives done more than anything else, right? Because we understand that delivering on, on, on a better competitive alternative, a better mousetrap, a better product, our vision of how to go to market is actually how we create value. You know, I another thing I talk about in the book, if you allow me, and you know, just to run for one more second, is the difference between means, ends, and byproducts. I have a friend who's a type one diabetic. His goal in life is to stay alive as long as you and me. But he can't make it happen any more than any of us can make happiness. It's a byproduct, right? So what's what does he do? He focuses on insulin control. If he keeps his if he keeps his 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 blood sugar, his glucose between 80 and 180, if that's his end, his byproduct coming out the other end will be health. What's his means? Diet and exercise. So it, business is the same thing. Though we may want value creation, and we delivered it. I never focused on it. I focused on, on the end of being a better competitive alternative. What does that mean? Getting consumers, our target consumer, not everybody, but our target consumer to cross the street, walk past all of our competitors and come to us for something to be that much better than everybody else. And all I can say to your listeners, if there's some lesson, that's the that's the mantra. Be a better competitive alternative for some people. Understand how you're going to do that and why. Why are they going to choose your experience or your product or your business over the alternatives they have? Everything else is secondary to that. If you understand that, you can win. And when you win at that, that's when value creation occurs. And I, I want to talk last question about, about challenges and the word reputation. So you you talked about in the book a lot, bringing to market, I think it's called Crispani, which is like the, the pizza. And there were big challenges. It seemed like- yeah, it didn't work and I pulled it and I, I took 10 years to live it down. Go ahead. So what? But what did- Everyone is talking about reputation, about character. There have to be some main messages that you learned when you have what is a hands-down winner, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. And you know, you could go into this reasons in the book, but how does something like that, a, a challenge, which was really a brilliant idea, tie into your reputation? Let, let's step back. There's a lot in that. The most important currency for a public company CEO, when you have lots of constituents, and I had thousands of investors, six, seven billion dollars. 25% a year, but yeah. not everyone could do that. Okay. Your currency is your credibility. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what the future is really going to bring. And everything is unproven until it's done. So what do they have? They have their ability to discern based on what you say and what you show them. Um, what's going to happen. That's how they judge the future. The other thing they judge on is your credibility. And so to me, credibility is everything in terms of my relationships with other people. You know, Having said that, and here's actually the more interesting part, that credibility with investors, with money managers, all these people betting on me is actually less important to me personally than my own credibility with myself. Because in the end, what you're left with when this is all done is not your balance sheet, not your business, but your self-respect. 
And so I argue in this book very keenly. I talk a lot about the pain of being a CEO, the humanity of being a CEO, what it's really about. And I argue that what ultimately has to drive you is your self-respect and doing things that you respect. So when we talk about credibility, it's really important. But actually, what is even more important is self-respect. And there you have it. So um... there's one other thing I would say to your listeners that I really wanted to do with this book, and they may connect with it, is I wanted to speak to what it feels like in on the roles that we serve in as CEOs, what it really means to you, not the principle of how you, not simply the principle of how you run the company, but literally how you go through the experience. Because so many of the books of this genre are really self-congratulatory pats on the back. You know, I did so wonderful. Let me share with you some stories. All you have to do is be like me. And the truth of the matter is, it isn't like that at all. It's really hard. It's really difficult. The business owns you. You don't own the business. And understanding that as you go through this process, I think, and I hope, is a gift to your listeners. Great having you on the CEO show again, Ron. Thank you, Robert. It's been a heck of a lot of fun.